Welcome to Newsworthy with Norisworthy. Get okay. ready for some awesome. Now, let's make a pie. All right, friends, welcome back to the show. Today we have joining us from Nashville, Tennessee, Annie F. Downs. Oh, Luke Norsworthy. What a pleasure. Wow. How you doing? I'm so happy to be here. I'm so sorry I'm not sitting in the same room as you as we, we had hoped. Yeah, we kind of had that. That I, I'm not oh. saying that you brought Annie F. Down, downers to my life, but... Um, you know, it's it's COVID. Like, no one really has plans. No one has plans. I mean, have you ever... I haven't made a flight reservation in the last full year that was not made with this sentence. Well, I think I'll get on that plane. Yeah. You know, there's a... Yeah. <laughs> and so far, nine times out of ten, I don't. I don't get on Annie, that plane. I don't plane. know if you know this, but there's a verse in the Bible that <sighs> says, whenever you say, this is what you're going to do, add this little caveat, Lord willing. And when I was a teenager... I would say that the Bible, the Bible says, says that so we're supposed to say Lord yeah, willing. It's the Book of James. I would say that religiously to the point where, like, I annoyed myself. Like, hey, I'm going to get up and go to the bathroom, Lord willing. Uh, hey, I'm going to uh, like uh, go to sleep in two minutes, Lord willing. Like it was, and so I stopped doing it because I was like, I'm like I'm annoying myself right now. And then COVID hits, and I'm like, yeah. I might need to go back and circle back to that one because the Lord was like, Luke, I am not willing. Stop <laughs> saying this so much. <laughs> Yeah, because there's like we don't really have plans anymore. Uh, we, you can't. Yeah. You can't have plans but anymore. You, you can do the best you can. So I can say, I'm coming to Austin for the weekend and we're going to do a podcast in person. Mm-hmm. And then what happens is the airplane goes and I am not on it. Yeah, no. It, and I'm still here in Nashville and we're all trying to work really hard not to get COVID. In yeah, our we don't lives. want, and we don't want you to get COVID. You got a book coming out. You don't need the old Rona around this time. Would you like to know some of the things right. that we had planned for you, though? Lord willing, that the Lord wasn't willing. Uh, Is this going to make? You- I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if I want to know. Well, you, yeah. I mean, if you want to say, um, I mean, I know tonight was pizza night and a movie night, so we're still going to do the movie okay. night in two separate houses. Yeah, we we can do that. You, you can't have home slice, which is our favorite uh, pizza. Well, I already texted you and said you're miraculously over and said, the cheese now, we- and so you can eat this. <laughs> Not miraculously over. The- well, yes. I mean, I guess so. The Lord totally healed my body. Yeah, you're right. Did you did you have uh, Mark Batterson on and? I yeah, did. you had him on like, anyway, his book came out, we both had him on, and he like got asthma, like healed or something, and so he could go run a marathon, and I was thinking... That's right. I have a very similar thing, except mine is I can eat way cheese. Way more important. Like, <laughs> I'm yeah. going to go run marathons. Yeah, yeah who cares? Nope. I'm going to eat pizza. That's huge. That's a that's very it. big... That's it. Home Slice, that's the Austin pizza Yeah, yeah that's like the, it's a local place, there's two locations, but there's one on South Congress, which is... Oh, which we, yes, that's fun. Yes. Yeah, okay. so, yeah. I guess. Keep yeah. Going. Keep telling well, me what you know, Saturday. We probably were going to do something like Mexican food. So we had some ideas, some tacos or something like that. Now here's the predicament. Yeah. Though. Saturday night, there was a big UFC fight and I know you like soccer, you like football. And I, I wasn't going to like, I, I wasn't going to leave the house and go watch with my buddies. I was going to watch it here. And I was like, well, Annie, you're gonna have to watch some cage fighting. Uh, cause yeah. I don't, have you ever watched any cage fighting before? In college one time, I had to after a wedding because the whole it was a destination wedding. And the next thing we did, the wedding happened and we were all at the beach together. And the next plan was go watch this Mm -hmm. fight. And so everybody except the bride and groom Mm -hmm. went. So, yes. How how was that experience for you since you haven't done it in the last 15 years? I I mean, I don't have a thank you for saying 15. I don't have (laughs) a um, 
I don't have a love for watching people punch each other. You tell me why you like cage fighting. Do you like the cage part? Yeah, I just love the uh, the accoutrement of the 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 cage. <laughs> no, because I was a wrestler in high school, and I don't really like the striking is not as exciting to me. Like, hey, let's watch someone punch him in the face. But the actual, I don't know what striking means. That punching, the punching, and the kicking part. But okay. wrestling okay. is a sport in which you like to take someone down to the ground, and then jujitsu is a sport in which you try to. Uh, do a joint manipulation or a strangulation, which would lead to them <gasps> tapping out or going to uh, a temporary nap. And so that manipulation is witchcraft. But <laughs> go ahead. That's what a pastor told me in college. So. Well, I, to that person, I would like to strangle him. Um, but <laughs> that's what you would do instead. Wow. Yeah, so that okay, wow. I, I feel like what you need, like you need someone who can walk you in, through the sport and explain it to you. Because if you, well, I am going to ask you who's who's fighting. Is it two big deal dudes? Uh, yeah, Conor McGregor is probably the biggest name in the sport. He's one of the. Wait, I thought he's not a boxer. He fought uh, Floyd Mayweather in a boxing match. Yeah. because he is just super popular, and he can't compete with Floyd May- Mayweather as a boxer. But he is, you know, one of the probably three best pound for pound fighters in the UFC. So he's he's a big deal. Okay. And they, because some of the uh, YouTube famous guys want to fight exactly him. because that, but they don't want to fight him in a in a cage. They want to box they him, want, right? Or do they want to? No, UFC they fight him? they would literally like be in harm's way if it was in a cage. Like they would not survive. Yeah, um, yeah, but he's a yeah. big name. They would make a lot of money from him. The whole like the YouTube thing is, it's just like trolling that's been rewarded with gobs and gobs of money. It's it it's it's unbelievable. It's it's um. It's a reflection of where our society is, where you can have these amateur people yes. who can just get popular, and because of their popularity, they can like talk to some of the best fighters in the world and say, hey, we're going to make a lot of money, so let's do this. We could talk about this for a whole episode, because I th- we don't have I to, but to. I think one of the most interesting things happening right now in culture is, especially for the generation below us, I don't think my parents have any idea who Jake and Logan mm-hmm. Paul are, right? But for us and the generation below us, there are tons of people getting, a, as you said, gobs and gobs of money for not really having a skill, just for making silly videos or dancing videos or whatever. And, and we are watching them get paid to show their whole life to the world. It is, they are choosing, um, oh, what's that Jim Carrey movie uh, um, where he's filmed all the filmed time? filmed in Seaside, Florida, where uh, I used to it live. It filmed in uh, Seaside. The Truman Show, thank mm-hmm. you. Used to live in Seaside? I used to live, uh, we vacationed, it's right next to Panama City. It's, it's yeah. like there's like one, can, it's, I mean, it's a little bit nicer in Panama City Beach. That's a subtle statement, but yes. Yeah, it's nicer in Panama City. So you used to live there though? Wait, I don't first, Oh yeah. Oh yeah, I did yeah, know that part. First job out part. of school. Yeah. So the question that I translate um, with the uh the YouTubers who are like Truman showing themselves is how so they like you said, they have they have no credibility or, or rational reason that they should be in this conversation with these athletes. But they're popular and they're famous. And so my question is like what are we doing in the church world that we elevate people mm-hmm. because they're popular and they're famous and say, Hey, be here? And I, like, you better, you better say this. Okay, Go. here's the thing. I, I asked a question similar to this to Ben Higgins when he was on the podcast, and I like Ben. I think he has, Love I think he has, he has, he has a lot to offer he, for uh, uh, for the book that he wrote. I thought it was, it was good. Um, but the I question like I was like, how does it make you feel being at conferences because you were on a dating show on TV? Now we're inviting you to a conference on spiritual on, on following Jesus, discipleship 
of yeah. Jesus of Nazareth, but because you went on a TV show and made out with 30, ch- I don't know actually how many chicks he made, but there was some making out. I didn't watch it. I assume that happened, right? Yes. Making out. Um, yes. He is therefore given a platform that we say, you teach us about the way of Jesus. Um, now take Ben out of the equation because I, I do like Ben. I think he has something to say. In what other ways are we bowing our knee to the God of celebrity and say, because of celebrity, therefore you have status and influence. So teach us about following Jesus. You better say that. I mean, yes, I think you're right. Just today, I saw our uh, our mutual friend. Oh, why am I blanking? Sarah and Steve. Steve Carter. I was like, why can I think of Sarah first? Well, I saw our mutual friend Steve Carter share this post because the vineyard pastor is retiring. And he wrote, and in his sermon to the two pastors who are taking over the church from him, he gave all these tips. And one of them is do not become a celebrity. Hmm. Do not become a celebrity. Just serve the local church. And that's a funny thing for me to say, as I am more known for other things besides serving the local church. But I am, I am such a fan of the people and the pastors who choose to serve locally and not concern themselves globally without being called to that. Yeah. You know, I, you're called, there's a handful of y'all that are called to that to go, yeah, I've got this story to tell that a book and I want to make podcasts and I want to write books, but everybody doesn't get to do yeah. that. And so I just am, I think everybody finding their lane and loving their lane, not just staying in it. You're not forced to, you love your lane yeah. is, is the forward way of the kingdom. And that's not what we're seeing in the generation behind us in the YouTube way we're talking yeah. about. That that is happening in the generation behind us, but what we're seeing in the YouTube way is the only lane is famous and expose yourself, yeah. expose yourself and get rich and famous, expose yourself and get rich and famous, and that that is the secular lane yeah. that is being offered to all of us, and it is wild to watch. It, it seems that the, because of the uh, influence of like YouTube and, and social media, the the latent worship of celebrity, which has been there from the beginning. Like, it's one of Jesus' temptations in the garden, or actually, not in the garden, right. in, the, in the desert. Like, hey, do this spectacular thing, and so everyone's going to bow there. It's the same temptation of celebrity That's and right. being spectacular, but now it seems like yes. the, the access to that is far more prevalent. And obviously, you were someone that has a you know, great deal of following, and, uh, but you anchor yourself in a local community, and you've been intentional yeah. to, to do that, and so it's Again, it's not like there's something wrong with having influence and having a platform. It's when platform equals significance. Yes, that's right. Yeah, I mean, I am. I say a lot. If you are not serving locally, you will not survive your global ministry. Yep. If you if if you are just trying to travel on weekends, this thing we used to do, <laughs> and speak at conferences, but you don't have a local church or a local pastor who knows your name, it is not that you will burn out it's that you will you will not have any gas in your tank because you are never refilling and and 50 other things but yes i mean there are people i i feel very called to the jobs that i have to the public life that i have but you know that that i'm not voyeuristic about my life there's no there are a lot of parts of my life that are private that i let y'all in as my people but i don't post about on social media or write about in books by name or talk about on shows. No, I mean, there is, I mean, even this new book, I mean, there's a lot like about your 
personal life, your love life and all that stuff. Um, I feel really uncomfortable saying the word love life. I don't know why I just got really uncomfortable. I'm I don't giggling. either. You have one. Uh, I mean, I, I it's do. A, it's a very normal yeah, thing. Yeah, I mean, it's no- I mean, I've, I like to think my love life is better than just normal. Um, I don't know. Yeah, better than mine, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> that is gay Lindsay's upstairs I don't know if she would refer to anyway never mind um, th- but the point is love life I'm giggling um, that you talk about that and that's out there but there has to be some filter of and I'm, obviously I can see you write about stuff that um, as a friend like there's uh, yeah know. there's more stuff there and I see okay I, I see where you're drawing the line and I see where you're going like this is um this is helpful to like tell a story that helps other people. And this is like, this is just voyeuristic. Like you don't need, need the details. And I think there's some line that it's hard when you're 18, 19, 20, 21, 22 thrust into a situation where you're having to figure that out on the go when all your models around you are like, Hey, there doesn't need to be a line. And so we're, we're gaining the world at the expense of our soul. Ooh, yes. And the problem is 40 year olds know that because we saw Truman show. 39. Thank you. I know. I know. We'll celebrate you. Don't you worry. Um, So that, I mean, but but there's the crowd of us. There's our generation. They're the ones right above us. 40s and 30-year-olds. Who are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. The the 40-year-olds that are right above us. 40 and 30-year-olds. That generation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The ones above us are watching and going like, this, this, we don't know what to do with how sideways things are going down here. How do we disciple you? How do we help you? How do we step in? The ones right below us didn't see Truman Show, so they don't see the negative side of having your whole life on display for everyone necessarily. And then you're raising the ones below that, which I think is so, I, I think the the kids zero to 16 have so much hope right now because our age parents have lived with the internet enough yeah. that we know how to have lines yeah. with it and know how to disciple our children, or at least know there's language around. We should be discipling our children in their use of the internet. And I don't know that parents above us had the, had that language because it was brand yeah. new. My kids were watching, or I watched with my kids the show about um, social media and the way that, uh, you know, the images you see are highly glossed and they're ide- uh, idealized. And like, there's a TV show that's having this conversation with my daughter and Avery's going, this is all the stuff you've been saying to me. This is why you say it's fake. And you're going, oh yeah, like w- we are realizing that this is a-, a new road that everyone's on and we need to put speed limits up. Yes. And so like, yeah, I think you're right. So I think you need to go back and rewrite, uh, one of your the books for teenage girls and just like uh-huh. add a couple chapters on social media. Well, you know, are you having have you gotten Jess Connolly's book called Glory Girl? No, I don't think so. Yeah, it's it's the next teen book in my group of friends that's coming out. Okay. And and she's so good at walking. I mean, there there are resources like that happening now because we know. Yeah. And because we've suffered, but but the question for our generation is how do we disciple the ones right behind us who have been in the grips of the internet their whole lives that are trying to be spiritually healthy, that are trying to be physically and emotionally healthy, but they are technology natives, but without parents that are technology natives. Yep. yep. Does that make yep. sense? So the twenties need us more than ever to to say, hey, we've been in this a long time, but we also knew life before yeah. this, and we watched the Truman yeah. Show, and he wanted out. Yeah. At the end, he realized, I yeah. gotta go. 
So that's what we get to do. We get to our us and the generation above us. We get to look at the ones right below us and help disciple them into healthy use of the internet while you're raising the ones who will yeah. have it. You know, it's funny uh, as you think of the Truman Show. There was some neighbor, some friend of ours from uh, Florida, and uh, she was actually in the Truman Show. She was like one of the extras, and so she's uh, lucky. And, and so, like her kids now are in like that age where her like she's socially conscious of like social media and how it works and all that but yeah. she didn't grow up on it and so it, the irony is like you might have literally been in the truman show but you don't realize that your kids are living this right now and like how do you navigate yes. it? and so that yeah it's right yeah that's complicated that's and when this isn't the thing there'll be a next thing yeah. right like raising humans i saw someone say yesterday uh, someone had made a mistake and was a confessing it on Instagram and kind of saying like, Hey, I did this thing publicly and correctly. And, and so I'm apologizing to the people that are hurt. And someone in the comment, someone in the comments as a friend said, Hey, it it is just impossible to be human. Hmm. Like you're doing the best you can. It's impossible to be human. Being human is so hard. And, and I just thought that was such a kind thing for me to take away too. And I just saw that comment. So I thought, Oh yeah, it's impossible to be a human, whether you have the internet or not. And whether you are trying to get famous or not, and whether you're serving your local church or not, whether you're raising kids or not, I'm not raising kids, but it is impossible to be a human. <laughs> yeah. It's just hard. Life is just hard. Yes. And uh, we need to be nice to each other. Like that that seems like it would be a helpful thing. Yeah. Just a little bit of kindness. Like just. Yeah. Just uh, assuming I, I, I do this video on Fridays. Um, I have like an email we, we send out every Friday. And instead of writing an essay at the top, I do like a little video. And uh, it's called the AFD Week in Review. And so we just like, I throw a video and a couple of links from that week. But today on the video that I made for this week's, as I said, like, there is just a different stance in life when you assume everyone else is doing the best they yep. can. Yep. Like it just leads to a different life. If you assume they're doing the best they can, if you assume, if you walk into every conversation and every social media interaction with kindness, it's going to be different. It doesn't mean it's going to be perfect. People are still spicy left, right, and center, but it is, it goes better when you lead with kindness and assume people are doing the best they can. Have you read Brene Brown stuff on that? I forget which book it was. It might've been the most recent one, but she tells a story of, you know, she, she had a tough go. She was at a bad a conference and she was really upset about it. She goes to her therapist and uh-huh. the therapist says, Hey, maybe those people at the conference who rubbed you the wrong way, were doing the best you can. And she didn't like that. So she goes to the bank and the person yeah. in front of her is uh, an older white woman. And she starts yelling at the, the bank teller who's uh, African-American man in his twenties. And she says, let me talk to your manager. And so the manager is a black woman who's maybe 40, 50. And the black woman starts to walk over as the manager. And she says, I don't want that manager. I want a different manager. And Brene's like, oh my goodness, like that's definitely racism right there. And so someone else comes over. Right. This you know, seemingly racist older woman leaves. And she walks up to the man in his twenties who's behind the, 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 the teller and goes, do you think people are doing the best they can? And he's like, are you like a, a psychiatrist or something? And she goes, maybe, but do you think, and he s- tells a story, he goes, yeah. um, you know, I, I, I think so. I don't think we always know what's going on. When I was in Iraq, I was there for mm-hmm. two tours and my yeah. wife cheated on me while I was gone. And I came back and I, like, as she, he just says that line, Brene Brown just goes, oh, like I'm upset because a conference person was rude to me and I had to share a hotel room. And like in that moment, like his wisdom as a young man in his twenties just goes, this is what we all need to do. Like if you assume the best in people and his point about that woman was, 
you don't know what she's going through. You don't know if she has a kid at home. You don't know if she has a husband with Alzheimer's. You don't know if you have someone who's robbing her, ripping her off. And she's just struggling. And if you have that position of grace right. for everyone, it just changes things. Right. I um, It's one of the reasons I loved writing. And that sounds fun when I wrote about being an amateur. Yeah. That's why it mattered so much to me is, is I think people are used to hearing. I mean, we tell kids, be kind, be kind, be kind. I think we're used to people hearing the kindness conversation. But so I, I, I'm a big fan of trying to switch up to other words that don't, that make you do the same thing, but sound a little bit different. Yeah. So I was like, what would it be like if we all just let each other be amateurs? I like that. Yeah. Like what if we just let bank teller be amateur at life and we let the people at the conference be amateur. They, none of us have ever done today. Yeah. This is our first time doing today. And so none of us are pros at today. And so I just thought, man, I would love to write a book and make part of it this idea of like, be kind to each other in that nobody is as professional at what they do as you think they are. But you, nobody yeah. knows how to do this as well as you think they do. But you talk about do, being an amateur at something that carries a lot of weight. There's a lot of stakes to what you talk about. You talk about, about being an amateur when it comes to having conversations about race. And you, you tell yeah. the story, which you and I talked about when it first happened about someone saying, hey, you don't have enough uh, people of color represent on your podcast. And I, like you in that moment say, okay, well, give me some suggestions on how to, uh, how to address that. And I think I called you that day. Yeah, no, I, we, I, I remember <laughs> it. This is, I, yeah. I, it's funny, like reading your books at, at this point going, oh, I know that. Yep. I know this story. I know that story. And yeah. uh, anyway, so I, this story, like the way you, do, uh, and as someone who, who kind of lived it with you, like, I feel like you're, you're telling it honestly, I would have made myself look a little better than you did. Um, but uh, <laughs> like, that's why you're a better person than me. But you, you're talking about being an amateur about something that, that isn't just like frivolous. It's not like, Hey, uh, I'm, I'm trying to make a, a good blooming onion at the house. Like no one cares. Like <laughs> you can, right. you can right. burn right. a dinner and that's fine. But when it's talking about race, like that carries a lot more weight. How do we give people space? Or let me say it a different way. There have been people who I assume have given you space and let you be an amateur as yeah. you try to do this. In what ways have, have you found people giving you space to be an amateur to be life-giving to you? Well, I think the first thing is, is when I let myself try making a Bloomin' Onion at home, then I am learning that I can screw things up. And, I, and so it's almost like those things that aren't important are actually the practice field for the things that Was are. Is the Bloomin' Onion a metaphor in this point? Because I know you like to cook. So yeah. could you... No, I do like it, but I've never okay. made a blooming onion. And I'm like, that gets in really hard. I don't even know how to cut an onion to make it fan out, like to make it the bloom part. You can just get the onion. And so, well, okay. <laughs> yeah. So what I'm saying is like those everyday things, the new sports you try, the new, um, uh, I don't know, the new skill you try, mm -hmm. the new activity you try, all the new cookbook you try, all that is building this oh. muscle in you that says, I am going to be okay if this doesn't go perfectly. Look, I survived messing up that blooming onion. Look, I I, yeah. I fell down playing soccer, but I'm okay. Yeah, so right? you do it in the small innocuous things like soccer or cooking. I mean, soccer is as innocuous as you can get. Uh, it's not even a real sport. Um, but you, oh. <laughs> but you, when it that trans translates into the bigger things like talking about race. I think so because what my muscles have learned, what my mental spiritual muscles have learned, is. Read the directions. 
Let's. I'm literally going to take you with the blooming onion route. Keep going. Blooming onion and racism. Here we go. I read the directions. I gather up everything I need. I do the very best I can the first time I do it. I observe what went wrong and I make a note in the cookbook and make it right the second time. Wow. And then I continue to make it better, right? So that's the blooming onion. Here's what that looks like in conversations about racial justice. I read the cookbook. I read the resources. Jamar Tisby. um, I love listening to Mike Kelsey teach. uh, Tasha Morrison with Be the Bridge. We can go on and on. There are so many resources that are being made for white Christians right now to help us and be our cookbook in the situation, Mm -hmm. right? So then you gather the ingredients, you pull together people, people up close to you that are learning with you, all the resources, and then you have a conversation. Yeah. You have to cook at some yeah. point. You have a conversation. You go, man, I, I think I said that right. I think I said that wrong. That hurt somebody's feelings. Now, I'm not saying you do this on the internet the first time because I'm not making my first blooming onion for strangers. Yeah. I'm making my first blooming onion for my two best friends who are okay trying my food. Yeah. Right. So your first conversations in these harder things are with your up close people, maybe a neighbor or a friend or a pastor or someone who is a person of color and is agreed to be a friend in this work you're doing. And then you and then when it's done, you assess for yourself. Here's what went right. Here's what went wrong. And you make a note in the back of Jamar Tisby's book about um, how to how to fight racism, the the new one. Yes, thank you. Yes, I was like, how to not be racist, but that's another book. How to fight racism. You make a note in the back and say, when I asked this question, it it pinged incorrectly because. Yeah. And then you and then you you make a blooming onion again and you go again. So it literally is, it is these everyday hobbies, it is these everyday practices, it is these things you're an amateur at that do not matter, that teach you how to step into the things that really matter that you are also not a professional well. at. Okay, let me make a connection here. The person who is an extra okay. in the Truman Show is a big fan of yours, and her husband loved the Bloomin' Onion. And so, the, like, 80% of the Bloomin' Onions I've had in my life were with the same person. So, with yeah, so big shout-out, Susan. Um, wow, ne- hi, Susan. Nevertheless, so I-, I love the metaphor. Like, you have to, even on a big thing like race, take a, a, the same attitude of, I've got to start practicing this at home before I take it on the road. And that's... Yeah. yeah, I mean, that's, that's good. If, thank you. If your first conversations about racism or uh, prison reform or theology yep. happen on Twitter, yep. you are going to have a really hard time being brave enough to go into these conversations yeah, again. Yeah, and one of the things that has been revealed uh, over the past six months, especially six months ago, uh, we've seen this, I've talked about on the podcast, that uh, we've had people who had to have these conversations on big stages, and what was revealed is y- y'all haven't been doing your homework. And so you say some really dumb things that are very hurtful to people because you haven't been cooking at home, and so the blooming onion that you're serving to the world is yeah. not only bad, but it's repulsive, and it's making people hurt. Yes. And, I've done a version of that. I I recorded a show recently where I said third world repeatedly instead of developing world. And it's because I grew up for second, third world. We we grew up learning that. But a a much uh, gentler and truer statement is just call it developing world. Well, I had to, I had made my blooming onion in front of some people and had to go and say, hey, that recipe wasn't just right. And I'm sorry, that recipe wasn't just right. But I'm going to make a note 
and I'm going to fix this so that my brain starts relearning these words I grew up with, relearning that the better, kinder, truer thing is to talk about the developing nations as developing nations. Okay, learning. And let me be a learner. We've got, I mean, we always act like it's embarrassing that we're the learners, but everybody else should be held to the standard of being a professional who knows yeah. everything. Well, I think that's even the example you, you met, mentioned earlier of the person who you know put out an apology, hey, I said this wrong. Uh, part of what that does is for those who are in positions where they're leading is, I think, demonstrating the humility to say, yeah, I got this wrong and that I'm not an expert mm-hmm. on it. Mm-hmm. And it's... It, yeah, I think we create an example to say that I am still learning that I am an amateur at this, even though at mm-hmm. some point you feel like people expect you to be a professional, but many of us don't right. arrive. And I, I think apologies have to be part of that. And it's not easy. Absolutely. But it's not easy. But it is super easy to apologize when you've cooked, you know, funnel cakes for your family as you do and you burn yeah. one. You go, oh, my gosh, y'all. I'm so sorry. I wasn't paying attention. Hold on. Let me do another. Yeah. But if you were the kind of dad who didn't apologize to your kids, that wouldn't be easy. And the big apologies you have to make would be extra hard. So you're literally doing the same practice in your house that you that you may at some point have to do from a stage. But because you're already practicing those I'm sorry words, they are not It's not speaking a foreign language when you're on stage. I know it's hard for some people to say I'm sorry and I was wrong. I don't understand how that happens, though. I don't get it. Like, I don't understand how it's hard to say. And maybe it's just because you never say it in day-to-day life that in moments that are, you know, more weighty, it's hard to say those words. But I, I don't know. I think you're right. You just about muscle memory for that. Um, yeah. Okay, so we talked about being an amateur. And let's talk about something that I think is completely wrong in the book. Um, oh, good. Escapism or fun? Uh, I feel like escapism... <laughs> Is fun. I don't know why you would say like one to one. Yeah, I've. It, why would you not want to escape? Well, escapism is fun, but is fun always escapism? This is a whale dolphin question. I don't understand a whale dolphin. Is it a? It, I just saw someone say this that aren't they in the same category? But like a, a dolphin is in a whale category, but a whale is not a dolphin. Mm, Am I wrong? I, I, you know, I. I I apologize you know, if I'm wrong. I don't know enough. I'm taking a bad example to here's you. What, <laughs> if you're talking about sharks, you know I could talk to you about that. But dolphins are, you know, who yeah. who cares? Yeah, whatever. It, I get it. Okay, so do you not... So escapism, I think escapism is okay. I'm not anti-escapism. That's not what I'm saying in the book. I, I You and I both love some escapism. I mean, give us, give us donuts yes. and a nap yep. and we have... We are happy people. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> The problem is when your only fun is escapism and when you're when the only time you're having fun in your life is I am doing this because I'm trying to get away from fill in the blank that that I mean, I had a beautiful conversation with a family this week that the dad has stopped drinking Mm. right now because he's like, I I was feeling every time I was my kids were too loud. I immediately wanted to drink. And he was like, I can't, this isn't, this isn't just having a glass of wine at dinner. He wasn't getting wild and he wasn't drinking like crazy every night, but he was noticing this like Pavlov dog thing, wow. right? Wow. Um, what am I doing? And and I do that stuff too. I mean, I do that stuff all the time of like, every time I'm sad, I want to go to the movies. Mm. 
And like, okay, well, that's okay. I mean, pre-pandemic, that's okay once a week or once every other week. You can't go to the movies every night, kid, right? And so that's where escapism and fun have to separate. You have to go, I'm having fun and that's great. Am I having fun because I'm trying to get away from anything, from sadness, from anger, from stress, from people, from fear? Am I trying to run from something? Because the better, healthier thing is to stop and say, I I need to have fun and I need a break from this. But God, I'm going to hand you my feelings first. Mm. And I'm going to tell you these are the things I'm feeling and then, and and those don't go away. You still hold those. I mean, it's what Inside Out taught us, right? That joy and sadness are actually better together. Yeah. Do you have a discipline of, so movies are your thing. Uh, like that's your yeah. escape thing. What, uh, like, do you have a, a mechanism where like, uh, uh, this is when it's appropriate to go to the movies. This is when it's not appropriate. Do you have some sort of filter for that? Yeah. I mean, part of it is, part of it is community based. Hmm. Where I tend to, the, so where I tend to not think it's super healthy for me to do that by myself a lot. Uh, so let's move it into pandemic life though, right? Because we, I'm not married yet, don't have kids yet. So I was home alone a lot in the last mm-hmm. year. And there I, ha- I had options to watch TV for hours every night and watch things by myself and no one knows what I'm watching because I don't share my Netflix with anybody. And so it was wild west kind of options as far as escapism, Mm -hmm. right? There were times where that was what I did. So I I did not do this perfectly, but there are other times where me and some other friends would maybe be watching the same show and talk Mm -hmm. about it, would decide what, like we did with y'all where I would watch a movie at the same time as my friends and we'd be on FaceTime the whole time. Right. There's there's ways to bring community in to your fun to to protect it from being escapism. Yep. It kind of builds a healthy fence around your fun when you aren't doing it in yep. secret. If you're doing all your fun in secret, you, we, we probably need to talk about bringing some community. Yeah, in. That's a good word. I, I've uh, I've kind of had a practice. I, I, I don't know even when I start, but I t- to never drink at home. And like I, at at this oh, point, like I, like that'll happen occasionally, like twice a year or something like that. But whenever I'm going to have a margarita, it's always when we're out with friends, and and that way, like I've never had an issue with alcohol. And I think part of it is just because that's the practice of like when you're doing it together with friends in the right place, then it's something you can enjoy. It doesn't become I mean, come home and hey, I'm going to yes. be sad. Let me have a drink. Yeah, because that yeah, that's uh, you want to hear the real real. You know what I can't keep in my house is. Oh you cut out there. You're frozen. Oh, are you yeah. back? You were about to say, Luke, that's so brilliant. Oh, sorry, you really appreciate you sharing that. No. That's yeah. life-changing. That's very vulnerable, Luke. Thank you for sharing that. No, I didn't say um, vulnerable. I, I mean, brilliant. my... I didn't, it wasn't... Oh, brilliant. Yeah. yeah. It's also brilliant. Yeah, that's it. Um, My real real on that is I, I don't keep Oreos at my house. <laughs> I just don't. Because I don't... I can't figure out how to have a healthy relationship with Oreos. Hmm. And so they, they are, they are delicious and fun and I love them. And, and I think they're awesome, but they are also very easy to like swan dive into when I'm having feelings. And so, and so if I can't have a healthy relationship with fun, then I need to build different boundaries around my fun. And that is what I have to do with Oreos where I go, Hey, if people are coming over to eat here, they are. Or if I buy some, and then I end up taking the rest of the box to a friend's house. I mean, like, there, there just has to be 
some boundaries around your fund that protect you from losing it, you know, from losing those fun opportunities. That's good. That's a good word. When we would have, uh, we used to have small group at our house every Wednesday night for like seven years straight. And as a seven, I was like, oh, that's no big deal. And then like in hindsight, I'm like, oh my goodness. Like the fact that Lindsay is still married to me because I was a church planner and said, hey, we're going to do this. We're going to have 20 people over there and destroy our house every Wednesday night. And Lindsay is a very clean person. Did Lindsay cook for uh, Many of those, many of those. Towards the end, we started rotating around. But uh, She's a yeah, saint. like she yeah, pretty amazing there. Worked out well for me. Uh, not so much for her, yes. but uh, for me, it's been great. But when we'd finish up and there was dessert, there'd be times like I would not only just like throw it in the trash, but I like put soap on top of it because <laughs> I'm like yes. a trash. Like I will go in the trash because if it's on the top, it's not really the trash can. It's just above the trash can. Uh, but yeah, like you, if you don't create safeguards, then your discipline will eventually run out because discipline is a diminishing resource. There's a great book called Willpower by uh, Baumeister, who's a psychologist at Florida State. And he talks about willpower is this muscle that you can develop, but for the most part, it's an energy source that drops throughout the day. By the end of the day, like I could tell you in the morning, hey, I'm not going to eat those Oreos. And I won't ever eat Oreos in the morning. Never is going to happen. But if it's 9.30 at night, and I'm like, eh, those Oreos look a whole lot better. Anyway, so yeah, you got to create safeguards. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, fun becomes escapism. And um, yes. Let's talk about something else you talk about in the book. The importance of having a hobby. Yeah. I, you're spot on. Like, that's that's so right. What are your thoughts on hobbies? Tell me why. Um, a couple weeks ago in a sermon, I made a comment about how, like, this has been a tough year for, for everyone. Uh, it's been a hard year for me. Yeah. Uh, you know, we've had some stuff go on. And I feel like I have been more joyful during a hard year and I said, I think one of the big reasons is because of a, a gratitude practice that I started last year during Advent. And I've kept through, and it's, yeah. I, I think it's really affected me. And so I said that, and as I'm saying, like this is the only thing that's really different in my life the past year that's helped me have more joy. And then uh, I realized, no, that's not the only thing that's different. But like I've, I've got a hobby now. Like I started a hobby like a month or two oh, after. Yeah. and so, But I didn't want to say in a sermon, hey, you know, I have so much more joy in my life because I'm practicing gratitude and I'm choking people out a few times a week. Yeah, that's right. That's right. But it's true. It is. Yes. Yeah. I mean, the actual, the, the truth is, is what you have done. If I was fun coaching you right now. Coach me on fun. What I would say to you, yes. What I'd say to you is your gratitude part plays a really important, uh, gratitude is essential Mm -hmm. in our faith lives and our emotional lives. I think even your physical life, I think your body is affected by your uh, level of gratitude on this planet. But what you've done by adding, which one is it that you do? Yes. I want to say Cobra Kai, but that's not even an option. That's just what's in my That's a TV show that hopefully you're watching with other people. Um, No. I haven't watched it at all. That's how little I know. I haven't watched it at all. It's it's, uh, Um, jujitsu. Jiu-jitsu. Right. So what you've done by bringing in this other hobby, you are not a professional at it. You're not being a professional (laughs) jujitsu. And you are... (laughs) That's oh, not right, gosh. is it? No, it's it's perfect. It should be jujitsu. Jujitsu yeah. practice. You are a professional at that. You are not being paid to do no. that. And you are and you aren't doing it in order to take it somewhere else. So you're no. not like trying to become win a medal necessarily. You're not trying to change your body necessarily in a certain way that you've ever told me. You are literally just doing it because you like fun. it. Like it literally. Why are you doing this? It just it it's it sounded fun. Yes, that's exactly right. But the deeper, so let me ask you again, what are some other reasons that I know it sounds fun to you, but why is that what sounds fun to you over 
over any other exercise or over just hanging with your family and doing a puzzle? What is it about jujitsu that has been so good for you? Uh, Well, none of my family members try to choke me. And so that is a different thing. No, part of it is being an amateur, like being a white belt, being the, the bottom tier and not having the expectation of being an expert of, but being treated as like, I am the novice. I'm the one who doesn't know anything. I'm not expected to be the smartest person in the room. No, like at, at some point they now know mm-hmm. that I'm a pastor. And so there's some other stuff that goes with it and great opportunities that I get to, you know, be friends with these people on that level. But right. It, I, right. a big part is not ha- having to be seen as someone who's like an authority on anything. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Right. So that, I, I think that's beautiful. The the thing we need to do when we find the thing that we have fun doing and when we find calling it a hobby is the right thing to call it, but it also sometimes adds pressure. Like people are like, Oh, people do their hobbies for 60 years. No, they don't. You can do a hobby for three times and be done with it. Who cares? Mm-hmm. But when you pick the thing you want to do for fun, like you have with jujitsu, the next questions you need to ask yourself are why, and then maybe go why again, because that's going to tell you a ton about who you are and what you're really up yeah. to. And so look that, I mean, that is a really important thing for you to say. And so many of our friends that are listening, that are leaders, that are the leader in their family, that are leaders at their church, that are leaders at their company need to hear like, Man, I, they all, all of us, myself included, took a deep breath when you said that of like, man, to go a place where nobody expects you to lead and where nobody knows how you are, who you are. That's awesome. Yep. Yep. Right. Like, and, and, and so what's that, what even you saying that has me going, yeah, where do I go where I get to just like relax and not be a yep. leader? And, and, and so that we need to find hobbies like that. And, and you need to, you need to keep that information in your back pocket so that when you decide to do a different hobby or when you have a little more time, you go, okay, well, I know one of the things I love is not leading in this yep. space. So I'm not going to start uh, something. I'm not going to start a baseball team. I'm not going to start a club of any kind. I'm not going to start a thing because if I start it, I have to lead it. And for me, I need to not lead in my hobbies. No, no, definitely, definitely right. And as with any group of people, there becomes like group dynamics and there becomes like, you know, this group and that group. And, and it, it, and it starts yeah. to feel like church to me when there's like, like politics that go on. I'm like, Oh no, no, I'm, I'm not signed up for this. No. I'm out. I don't want it. Yeah. You have a, a, a question in the book about what brings you flourishing. That's, the question about amateur work. What what brings you, and I think that's right. Like that's, it, it brings flourishing. That's a, a good hobby. That's a good amateur work. Um, I, I heard years ago, it was, um, I think it was like Rick Warren who talked about how much he loved gardening because there's something tangible yeah. because the work he did was like so ethereal that he was always in his head. Yeah. So this got him in his body. And so like there's yes. something, the same way, like it's, if you work with your hands and stay in your head for your hobby or, or vice versa. Yeah. Our, your your old boss, my old friend, Matt Chandler. He wasn't my boss. He <laughs> wasn't it, my boss. He passed it off to you. He was your um, Pre- predecessor. Yeah, exactly. yeah, our friend, Matt Chandler. I mean, that's what he taught me is you, if you work with your mind, you Sabbath with your hands. Oh, and yeah. if you work with your hands, you Sabbath with yep. your mind. And that, Matt, I mean, that's all of my hobbies involve my hands. Yeah whether it's cooking or puzzles or cross-stitching or outside playing with kids, or they all involve me doing something because so much of my work is involves my brain being at full function yeah. mode. And I can't always do that in, uh, in 
when I'm resting, I can't do it. When I'm having fun, I need to not use my brain. When I'm going to movies, I am checking all the way out. I'm like, I am checking all the way out. I'm, I, my brain and my hands are not active. But when I'm really having fun, when I'm like having a great time, I'm doing yeah. something. Okay, so your guy, Chef Corey, says yes, that I have no Corey idea Barrett. what it is. Can, a cooking show? Like, nah. I, I, I yeah, literally, so everybody else, literally would rather yeah. get punched in the face than, than do that. Um, Didn't cook or watch a cooking uh, show? Well, I like... I, I've had some good cooking experiences recently that have been very meaningful to me. Yeah. Uh, but watch a cooking show. Yeah, uh, yeah legitimately, rather yeah. someone try to kill me than do that. So for everybody else, Corey Barrett won 2019's, I think, Spring Bake Off Championship That's, on spring Super Network. Ba- like, that, that doesn't even sound real. Like, that is not a thing. A spring uh, no. bake off. I, I can't help but you with that. His part. line was cooking is medicine. And you talk about it's it's slow, it's deliberate. And then you say it's meaningful. And I think part of the reason it's maybe meaningful to you as you and I kind of filter the world in a similar way is the slow and deliberate thing to it. And I, I've yeah. gotten in, uh, recently been making, because this is like a family thing, uh, these like sausage balls, which are very simple to make. Um, but there's yeah. something like you have to like form them into these tiny little uh, shapes. And like it, it's very slow and it's deliberate. And I found like there. Is it the ones with cheese and sausage and yeah, Bisquick? That's, that's it. It's there's nothing. Yeah. It's not hard. It's not fancy. But no. like just forming them into the right little shape, it's slow. It's deliberate. And there's something that's almost like yeah. uh, the reason why you have uh, like monks who do like this, like the same repetitive yeah. thing. Um, that there's something like that's very helpful about that. And so anyway, you're cooking. It's slow. It's deliberate. And and part of that maybe is is you're so fast and you're quick that this is the antithesis of that. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And that's what Corey, uh, Chef Corey was kind of getting to is so many people say food is medicine. And that's true. Like, you know, Dr. Axe, I don't know if you know, know Dr. Josh. His Josh spray. Axe, I knew his but spray. He would right? you, yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. I bet you did. I bet you did. <laughs> I know enough of you and I've seen enough uh, pictures from your uh, teen years. That I bet you did. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of doctors who will tell you food is medicine. There's a lot of food that will heal your body in a lot of ways. And Corey's just like, yeah, but actually cooking yeah. is medicine. Actually, the the work. I mean, if I am stressed on it, a lot of people talk about food prep day in their house is like, oh, I have to spend two hours getting everything going and getting ready for the week. And it is some of my favorite time of the week because I'm listening to a book or a podcast and I'm just like chopping an onion and and have three things going and boiling eggs and trying to do all the stuff that gets me ready for the week. So it's not just pure fun. It has some purpose to it. And I like that. I like when fun has a little bit of purpose to it. But man, it is so good for my soul just to like, make things it the problem with watching tv and scrolling on your phone is two hours are gone and you haven't made anything you haven't created anything and and that's fine sometimes but that's not fine seven days a week and so we got to start making some things whether you pick up a craft or you work on a puzzle or you watch tv while you're exercising we just got to like make something while we're while we're watching tv I used to go down to, like, there's a little fitness center in my neighborhood, and I'd go on a treadmill. I don't have a treadmill in my, my home gym, but I would go to a treadmill, and I would, like, kind of walk, run while I'd go through my sermon on Sunday mornings, and I'd always get there early, and then a guy would show up and turn the TV on, and I wanted to fight him every time, because I, I hate when the TV is on when I'm trying to, like, work out yeah. or anything, so, um, yeah, don't yeah. turn the TV on, or I'll try to fight you. Um, nevertheless, okay, yeah. uh, I've recently been watching a show called Yellowstone. And 
I have not started it yet, but all my friends. I, I have started friends. listening to country music because of the show. Like I <gasps> like Ryan, Ryan Bingham, Chris Stapleton. Uh, like I like that's all I, on repeat for the last three weeks because of the show. Um, not not like wow, Nashville country. Wow, no wow. offense to your people. Um, no, this is Texas country. You're listening yeah, to right. Yeah, yeah. it's it, but. I mean, Stapleton isn't, but the first guy is a Texas country guy, he right? He should be. If he, I, like, I haven't done a deep dive on who he is. But um, irregardlessly <laughs> of that, um, you talk... <laughs> that's, right. that's, that's one good. of my favorite things to say. <laughs> um, you talk about going to this ranch, which I imagine is Yellowstone, because yeah. that's where all ranches are in my head. Okay. So y- you go sure. there, and you have this moment where you describe feeling like you need to give people AFD. Like they need to have, yeah. well, that sounds fun, experience when you walk into the room and you have yeah. this like experience of, wait a minute, this isn't right. Um, I'm thinking about that as obviously you have a, like a, a relationship to people through your work that people know you as AFD. Uh, yeah. And that's true. But there's also a seven thing that goes with that of like sevens, you go in the room and in some ways like you're the energy. And so like it's your professional stuff. It's also the filter through which you see the world. And eventually like the, um, like the resolution in the story, like this brief story you tell is you realize I, I can just be Annie. I don't have to be Annie F downs, but yeah. I can just be there. I, obviously that's that experience required you to make some growth but that's probably not the only time that has happened that's part of like this ongoing process i imagine of you going Mm -hmm. how can i just turn that off and okay to not have the energy in the room and to not like be a brand but to just be myself right yeah i mean a couple of years ago uh i like celebrating lent i'm not catholic i'm very protestant but i love there are some parts of catholicism that i like and i grew up methodist and we celebrated lent and advent and you know that was always part of our practice and so i've always practiced lent and a couple of years ago when i was asking the lord about it i was kind of like what does lent look like this year and what do i give up this year and i mean before i even could think about it i heard i knew in my heart what if i didn't wear makeup for lent and i was like what there ain't a world where I'm going to go every day without makeup. But it was that it was the it was the Lord going like, what if you just showed up as Annie every day? What if what are you afraid is going to happen if you don't put on mascara? What are you afraid is going to happen? And I know most men don't wear makeup. And but we all show up in places and have made ourselves look the way we want to be seen. And we repeat that behavior when it is accepted. Yeah. Right. And so when you are told a certain thing looks good, smells good, sounds good, feels good, you're going to do those things again. And so that's what I had gotten to is I'd gotten so used to um, at Lost Valley Ranch, I'd gotten so used to showing up everywhere. And what made us all feel good was for me to be Annie F. Downs, myself included, that when I got to a place where I couldn't tell whether they wanted me to be Annie F. Downs, and I, it had been so long since I'd been just Annie in an, in a public place, like not with y'all in your house and not like with my people, but, but, you know, at a ranch where there's a lot of people you're not going to know. It had been so long since I'd given myself permission to not do that. It had, I mean, I, there were a lot of times that week that I thought this is what it feels like. This is what it felt like that Lent last year when I didn't wear makeup. Cause I just felt exposed all the yeah. time. And, and we need that sometimes we need, it is God's kindness that at times that he lets us show up to places without all the coverings we've made for ourselves, because it reminds you when you're loved. I mean, 
you know, I jokingly say the people who've seen me without makeup, whose houses I've stayed at are the people that I love the most because you're the ones who have proven to me that I can just be Annie. And so, my gosh, I just feel all this freedom to just be Annie. I mean, the people that I I uh, feel the closest to are stupidly. It's the people who see me without makeup just because I have to wear. I don't have to. I choose to wear it all the time for I'm on Instagram all the time. I'm in public all the time and and doing these kind of things all the time where we do sometimes video recording with the audio recording. And so it is to take down your mask, for lack of a better word, whether it's actual makeup yep. or the thing you're known for or the place you're known for going or how smart you are, how much money you have when that kind of gets taken away and you see who still loves you, that, that is powerful stuff. That is powerful stuff. So I'm working on uh, the stuff I'm going to do for Lent this year. And one of the stories I'm going to tell is the story of Haman, who's in the story of Esther. And since you're a woman preacher, you have to like preach the story of Esther every three months. Is that right? I don't know what the contract says, but yeah, yeah, you have to talk about it all the time. But Haman is this guy who like his, his crutch has been the way that people look at him and like they, they respect him. And because of that crutch, like being how he got through life at some point, one person didn't do it. And it became the very thing that became his demise because the crutch of getting people to bow down to him is what actually turned into his gallows. And the crutches that we use yeah. like to get through life, like the makeup that we wear metaphorically, I do not wear makeup. Um, you do, which is fine. But like, the way that you expect people to treat you, the way you want people to be seen, the way you want to see yourself, like these things are crutches, but you give them enough time and they become gallows that end up taking your life from you. Ooh. Can that be your next book? <laughs> you already got your next book done. I know yeah, how you it, work. It's, but It's just been sent out for, anyway. Yeah, but nevertheless, irregardlessly. Uh, no, it, uh, <laughs> it... Take that away. That's very good. And that's really important. The idea... I mean, we would never make this a children's book because it would be so dark. But the idea of your crutch becoming your gallows, the idea, I mean, that even the wood symbolizing that the thing I'm picturing when you say that is so powerful. And and so if we can let that go back when it's a crutch and, and look around and see who still cares for you, what is are you okay? I mean, I say in the book one time, like the thing you didn't think you'd survive, you survived it. You're here. Like that we have all been through things that we thought I will not make it through this. This is too hard. And we've survived them and look around and who still loves you after you survived the hardest thing you thought you wouldn't make it through. And, and that's why the subtitle is the power of falling in love. Cause that is powerful. That is powerful to be loved like that and to love other people yeah. like that. I'm so sad about the dog. Cause you talked about that as falling in yeah. love and the dog. I'm, mm. Did I show, but y'all yeah. saw the dog's name in the book is Helen. I mean, I sent y'all videos and pictures. Y'all walked that yeah, whole no, thing I with remember me. That's still, still sad about that. I said, that's my dog sitting right over here it's next terrible. to me. terrible. Um, you tell, you tell a story about uh, Dak Shepard and, and he says this line about, uh, you know, how do you get through a tough time or good times or bad times? And he makes it like the observation, it's going to end. Like it will end. And the good time. Yeah. Just like a yeah, roller the roller coaster. You're going to get on. It's not going to last forever, but it'll end. And that helps me get through bad times when good times end like that's hard for me that's harder for me than okay i know this bad time we're gonna get through it like just hunker down and finish through just grit it out um but when good things end that for some reason that's more painful to me me too i think we're built i think that's our personality we're built that way there is so much hope to me to me good times feel like they're going to end as soon as Mm -hmm. they start because oh no if it started that means the clock's Mm -hmm. ticking and it's going to end at some point and bad things feel like they have no clock (laughs) 
that I'm just going to be in this for my whole life. And when Dax said that from stage, he it was a live uh, uh, performance, isn't the right word, but a live show of his um, yeah. Armchair Expert podcast. And when he said that from stage, I thought, man, I've needed someone to tell me that that I've needed someone to tell me that for years, that every single experience we have is a roller coaster that you got on and it starts and it yep. will end. And I, I just I, I need that. It helps me appreciate. I hope it helps me appreciate the experience more when I'm in the middle of it. It helps me survive the terrible ones a little bit more when I'm in the middle of them, too. Yeah. One of the things that's. Uh, been helping me process it is to not expect the meal to go on forever to not think the, st- the steak is always going to be there but to try to savor and to not leave anything on the bone is how i'm processing it because it, it, it's not going to always be there but how am i doing to make sure i get every moment because sadly at, at some yeah. point my daughters uh are going to probably move out of the house and probably there, right, there's a will. chance that at 18 they might that like that might be the last long term time that they're at the house, and so I'm asking myself: Am I savoring every bit? Am I getting you know every yeah. chance to tuck them in? And you know I, they're not going to forever say, "Daddy, come tuck me in and cuddle with me at night." They're probably not. Like I think probably at 36, they might say that's too much. Um, and so I'm asking: yeah. like, I don't want to miss it tonight. I want to miss tomorrow night. Like I I don't want to leave anything yeah. on the bone. I want to make sure I savor every bit of this meal, and. It's that thing that people say all the time to young young mom and dads to help them kind of get through the te- the three-nager yeah. years, you know, the like little preschool, where they say the days are long, but the years are mm-hmm. short. And that was true. To me, that was true in the pandemic. The days were long, but that year did not feel yeah. long. I mean, I know we're still in the pandemic, but we're, but you know what I mean? Like yeah. 2020, the days, I mean, I thought August was never going to end. And and yet, all the also that year felt like it went by in a yep. heartbeat. It, and so that that will remain true forever, and at, or at least this side of yeah, forever. Yeah, you know? you're exactly right. Well, in uh, in honor of uh, your podcast and the book title, yes. uh, we're going to wrap up with uh, a question that is a tip okay. of the hat and a little bit of uh, adoration and respect to you. Um, so, as you end your podcast, the question you always ask is, "What sounds yeah. fun to you?" Um, I'm going to ask a different question. Oh, what okay. sounds terrible to you? <laughs> Getting uh, COVID sounds terrible yeah. to me. I really do not want to get COVID. I don't want people I love to get COVID. So that sounds mm-hmm. terrible to me. Uh, not being able to get in my house, my doorknob, the lock is broken on my doorknob and I keep being afraid I'm going to lock the door. And if I lock the doorknob, mm-hmm. I can't get in. And I have to call. I mean, there's a, I've had to walk myself through what'll happen. I just have to call and someone will come fix it. But that sounds terrible to me that I get home this afternoon and I've accidentally locked the doorknob. That sounds terrible to me. Just kick it in. Like, like action movie style. Just kick the door in. Like that would be, here's the thing. When, so my wife got the Rona Thanksgiving and she like takes a test and she's feeling bad. And I know I'm going to get this at some point. And you know, what's going to happen when I get it. I'm going to lose taste. And so as a true seven, what I did is I went for a long run, came back home, and then I went and bought a box of donuts and I ate every last <gasps> one of them because I thought like this is like my last meal but to uh, t- till I lose my taste. So for you, like just reframe it. What kind of donuts? Uh, Shipley's, the best kind in, in the world. My favorite donut. Of course. Certainly. Like glaze? Yeah, just traditional Christian donuts. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> have, you, uh, have you had, have we had any Shipley's when you've been here? Yeah, we had. 
I think so. I've had donuts. Yeah, yeah, I've had donuts at that. But no, I mean, we had those real fancy ones that one time. Yeah. But we've had like Saturday morning donuts. Okay, before, good. Because yeah. breakfast tacos, torchies, we've you've done that. Um, yeah. But Chipley's, yeah, that's our favorite donut. Um, yeah. Nevertheless, we would be getting tomorrow morning. Tear. Uh, but we're not. Uh, but uh, your book that sounds fun. Uh, people go get it. Get the uh, the audio version of it. Like get the get both. Get all the versions of it. But like you you made it especially the audio version to feel like a podcast, and that's how many of us know you through. And so like the audio version feels like the Annie that we know. And if you yeah. you get it now, you can buy the hard hardback hard paperback the 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 yeah, physical it's copy it's physical copy of it, and then you can go to uh, Christian Audio. And uh, you can get the the free audio beforehand. So why would you guys not do that now? Yes, it would be ridiculous. Cool. February, the book comes out February second. The audio book is available until February first. Yeah. So it is fun. Like we had the best time making it. I, I read the whole book. We had it scored by a musician. So it has a special music for each section. And then there's three bonus podcast episodes on the end of the audiobook. So it was just really, it was really fun to make. And for an audience that knows me most auditorily, I wanted to make a really special experience for them in that same way. We know you auditorially. That, Isn't that true? Is that the word? It sounds uncomfortable, but it sounds factual as well. So how do we know, how we know her auditorially? list of all the words that are uncomfortable and factual un- <laughs> no it's don't uncomfortable, do it but don't um, start yeah I'm, I'm just gonna stop right now yeah we're gonna end on that it. good stuff thanks oh. annie thanks buddy i love you, okay, you. See you thanks for checking out newsworthy with norsworthy make sure to subscribe to the podcast on itunes you are now adjourned